This is a HeadGum Podcast. Thanks for tuning in to this special episode of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I'm your host. We are going to talk about the Charlottesville tragedy and the events surrounding that. And recently, as of today, as of this recording, the disastrous uh, press conference that took place today from Donald Trump where, you know, this man is obviously sympathizing with white supremacists and he doesn't see that they have anything wrong um, with the actions that uh, they they took uh, this past weekend. So we'll go over all of that and more. And I'm really excited to do another panel discussion because these are always interesting and, and I really enjoy having these uh, really profound conversations. And I know you listeners do too. So we have none other than Karan, Kendall, Mel, and Devet, thank you, ladies, for coming on. Thank you for, having, for having us. us. Yay. I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. me too. Yeah. I get this off my chest. Mother's got some thoughts. Yes. And all yes. of us here on this episode are from southern states or have lived in southern states at one point. I live in Virginia in the state where... Uh, this incident happened, so we'll we'll go all over all of that and kind of share some of our experiences of dealing with uh, with racism in this country. I mean, you obviously don't have to be from a certain part of the map, but um, I do want us to kind of share our exper- experiences living in the South. Um, so before we get started on that, um, the events starting or the events rather surrounding the Charlottesville tragedy. When did you first hear about it? What was your reaction? Were you surprised about how this all came about? Because I think it started on Friday night and then it escalated to Saturday where tragically a young woman was killed as a result of this hate group um, protesting against the Robert E. Lee statue that apparently folks wanted to have taken down and these guys wasn't having it. So um, tell me what your thoughts were about this tragedy, and and anybody can jump in. This is Karan, and um, (laughs) my journey started Friday night. Uh, People were calling because I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, A lot of people mistakenly thought that this was happening in Charlotte. In actuality, it was Charlottesville, Virginia. So I got a lot of calls to see if I was okay, make sure I wasn't, you know, out in the street being me. And um, I turned on the television and like I cut the cord like months ago, but I can still get some local news uh, through an antenna. And I'm seeing this snake image of people with torches march through the University of, what is it, University of Virginia, right? Yeah, UVA. Yeah. Through through the University of Virginia, and I'm saying to myself, <laughs> I'm saying to myself, here we go, here we go. Y'all been mm-hmm. asking for this. I, I wasn't scared. I wasn't sad. I just said, here we go, because y'all have been asking for this. So, you know, there comes a time when chickens have to come home to roost, and we got to see in the preceding days that that's exactly what they are, a bunch of chickens, a bunch of punks, a bunch of scared little fraidy cats, afraid of their own white tears and shadows. And um, it was really unfortunate um, when I saw the the video of the car running into that crowd. Mm. My heart literally stopped. And then I saw it back out of the crowd at such an incredible 
remarkable speed um, and such carelessness. People were trapped between cars and and it was just I used to be a medic, so I'm, I'm not you know, afraid of blood and guts and seeing accidents and things like that. But to see someone intentionally be that fucked up, mm-hmm. I'm just going, <laughs> I can't, sorry, y'all. I'm, I'm promised I'm not under influence of any meds, but it was that mm-hmm. it was so fucked up. Um, and I knew, I said, here we go. This is it. This is Trump's America. This is what he's been talking about. This is what he has always supported. This is what he has always, um, or never actually um, separated himself from, this is his law and order. This is on him. This is on his head. Not that it can get any larger or any oranger, but Orange Fulius started this. He incited this, and I believe he should be um, brought up on charges of crimes against humanity and impeached immediately. I think he is an absolute disgrace to my uniform. He's a disgrace to my humanity and he's a disgrace to the human color of skin. So I'm, you know, it's very, (laughs) sorry. I'm laughing about that. The disgrace to the human color of skin. (laughs) It's just, it's Mm. abhorrible. And to hear this, to hear this idiot again today, backtrack, on the statement that he made under duress the other day, because he said what they asked him to say. He said exactly what they told him to say. And then today he held an unscheduled, nobody had approved, you know, this press conference. He did this on his own. The fuck is unstable. He's ugly. He's unstable. He's evil. He is the personification of evil. I can't. I just, I can't what Orange Fool is. I can't do it. But this is what he has been asking for. This is what he has always wanted. And to hear him say both sides and imply that Black Lives Matter had anything to do with this. I got into an argument about that yesterday, but um, the news continues to, you know, try to explore and investigate and try to find a reason. The purpose of it is to try to find a reason or to try to make sense of it so that it can make sense to all of us. And it's never going to make sense. He never makes sense. He never made sense. He never will make sense. This is what he has always wanted. And it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. I'm still trying to figure out why the fuck is still there. But, you know, I digress. Mm -hmm. Not really, but just for the moment. (laughs) well I had um it was a a strange uh weekend for me in a lot of ways because I was uh I I um I went to Albuquerque New Mexico this weekend to be with friends where we were gathered in love and support of another friend who is going through um uh a very, very difficult time, and I don't want to say any more because privacy for her, but it was a gathering that was just love-filled and laughter-filled, and, um, and, and for me, in, in this particular instance, I was the only black person there because these ladies, uh, one of 
one in particular, she's Jewish, and then another friend of mine is Irish. Uh, Italian from New York and another Latina and I mean it's kind of we're our own little kind of multicultural uh, group and um, and all my sisters and so for me this weekend was going to be about you know being with my sisters and um, and just being together for the first time in several years and because of where we were in northern New Mexico there was very little cell service, uh, Wi-Fi service. I mean, I couldn't get a call out. I mean, we were all looking at our phones going, what, why can't we get anything? So things were coming to me in little splotches. And first I saw, I had the same experience, Karen, someone was telling me that it was in North Carolina. So when I got a, a minute, I got on, you know, and communicated, I hope everybody's okay. Uh, and then I was told it was in Virginia. And I'm thinking, I hope everybody's okay. But I, I felt like I wanted to know more. And the more I learned in little bits and pieces, the more the angrier and more despondent I grew on the inside. I did not want to to uh, throw all this stuff that was feeling on everybody that I was with. I just like I felt like I can't. I I, I actually felt like I was actually torn in inside going, do I want to spew out like all this horribleness on this time when we're all supposed to be bringing all this positive energy towards her? So it was like, it wasn't until I guess it was Sunday evening when I was headed back to Albuquerque that I even started saying anything about it. And everybody had been getting bits and pieces themselves. And we all start talking about you know, the tragedy of this. But I think, and I love my sisters very much, but I don't think that there's, that I can speak with them about this sometimes on the same level. Because for me, I felt like this was coming. I knew it, you know, I felt that sense of just disbelief when Trump was elected and I thought this was like the opening of some kind of horrible mix of evil that has just been waiting for a leader. But it's always been there. I've known it's been there. I've lived with it my whole life. I grew up in Oklahoma, you know, <laughs> and that's like clan central in a lot of ways. And so I felt like, you know, I, as much as I saw this, I wasn't surprised, but it still made me angry and sad. So I, you know, that's that was that was my experience where I was when I saw it happening. Well, this is Kendall. Um, I had been out drinking, <laughs> and I was like, and I'm just gonna keep it real. I don't watch the news. Like I don't. I, I, I just, I just can't. I'm and my mother keeps me abreast of everything that's going on because she watches it all the time. So if there's anything I really need to know, or even if I don't want to know, she will tell me. Um, so I had been out and then I got a text message like, Hey, did you hear about, you know, X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, of course I haven't. Um, but then I like, I got on Twitter and then I like, like opened up my CNN app because I do have one just in case. 
And then I just, I, I saw the images, I saw the pictures, and I just said, I'm too drunk for this. I can't. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can't do this. I, I mean, I, right. I, and then, you know, I just saw the headlines, like, you know, Robert E. Lee statue. And I, I said, I, yeah, I just can't. Tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and, and so mm-hmm. then I just, like, let that go. And... You know, I'm like I'm like the rest of you. I was not surprised. My response was like, you know, you got to be fucking kidding me. Like, what? Mm-hmm. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Um, and just that image. I mean, it's 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 scary. And to think that these are people like these same people who are attending these things are people that are sitting next to you at the office. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, in classroom, in classroom, just everywhere. Mm-hmm. law enforcement, mm-hmm. the PTA, mm-hmm. right. the White House, right, right, <laughs> right. right. Just everywhere. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and and mm-hmm. it's kind of like it, it. The effect that it has had on me is that I just straight up don't trust anybody, mm. and mm. I don't want to be like that. I don't. I actively try to not be like that, but I really got to the point where I was just like, I just feel like I cannot trust anyone or I'm always giving everyone the side eye because mm-hmm. I'm like until you have proven yourself <laughs> right like right. I can't let you in my space because you're fucking with my energy and mm-hmm. let letting this stuff get off balance I just can't do that and so when I first saw the image of that car mm-hmm. like the mm-hmm. first thing that popped in my head was that guy that plowed through that crowd in Nice and um, yeah. in France, yeah. and mm-hmm. how that was immediately terrorist attack, terrorist attack <laughs> yeah. in France. Yeah, yeah. And so I was confused because I said, "Oh well, I mean, this is this looks and sounds a lot like that incident, but yet that wasn't labeled as terrorism." So then mm-hmm. I was also like, finger points to chin because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How can you sit here and you have these these events that are so parallel? This is hate. This is terrorism. And then you can't come out and say that that's what it is. Right. Um, and so that really that really bothered me because I'm just like, you know, you the way that we're labeling people and the hate, the amount of hatred that is in this country and the cult of personality for people like Stonewall Jackson and Robert E. Lee. These motherfuckers mm-hmm. that lost the war. Y'all motherfuckers lost. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Losers. Losers. Like, Losers. like yeah. you lost over a hundred years ago. Like what? I, I, see. Yeah. <laughs> it just talk it about just it. gets all over you, doesn't it? I just can't. Oh my God. I just can't just like the level of confusion and anger and hurt and the fact that so many of these people like that you can just have so much hate inside of you. I'm like that is not that is not healthy. <laughs> like <laughs> how are you going day to day and you're just so wrapped up so and angry this, and so angry and this white supremacy and this white nationalism like all think we want blood to, pressure think of, yes, yes. <laughs> like all, all people want to do is just be treated with respect and be mm-hmm. treated equally 
And the fact nah, that I want more subtle, than that. Well, yeah, no, like, like <laughs> I feel like that's like basic yeah. needs, like basic right. stuff. Basic stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you have mm-hmm. a problem. You have a problem with basic stuff. I mean, I they respect animals more than they See? respect us. Yeah. The problem yeah. with that is that it's the people part. All people want to be treated respectfully. They don't see us as people, so they don't have to treat us mm-hmm. respectfully. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's it right there. Right. That's <laughs> that's exactly what it always right. comes down it. to. Yeah. It comes down to you are a lesser being. You're just, you're not even, you don't register on the same level. That's what they think. It's like they've been just brought up for generations with the idea that they are talk about entitled they are entitled to everything that they would want and if nothing else they are entitled to be better than us they can say i might not be rich but i'm not black mm-hmm. you know and so and that's that <laughs> everybody want to be a nigga nobody want to be a nigga right. I knew you were going to say it. I'm just waiting. I'm like, I'm waiting. (laughs) Was that Paul Mooney that said that? Yep, Paul Mooney. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That reminds me. Oh, no, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. I was just continuing that line, but go ahead. Okay, so this is Mel, so I'll say um, I was talking about something ridiculous on the Black Girl Nerd Slack when I found out. I was between that and um, looking at Twitter, trying to find some funny things when I started seeing all the images. And like by default, I'm an anxious mess. So seeing that did not help my anxiety at all. It just skyrocketed Mm. to like a nine and then a 10. And I'm like, oh my God. And then you guys are right. Like it's not that I was surprised. It was, I guess I was in a way horrified that We've gotten to the point that they were out there, hoodless, mm. just out there, yeah. their faces, yeah. out there with the cameras, and they did not. And their guns. Let's dance. not forget they were armed. They were very well armed. They were. But, like, they didn't give a damn that they were on camera, mm-hmm. that everyone was seeing mm-hmm. this. They had no fear that any they would face any repercussions for this. Not one whatsoever. And then... It's like every day it's driven home, the world we live in now that this man is in office. But that was like, it was especially hard to deal with. It was especially hard. So, yeah, I'm keeping mine short, so. (laughs) All my life I had to fight. (laughs) All my life. (laughs) So that Saturday was a weird day for me because it was a very high point for me. Um, I had the opportunity to meet with NPR and did a fantastic interview. And I met Stephanie Williams, who's my co-host on Misty Nights Uninformed Afro. And we met for the very first time and hung out and met her husband. And it was just a really great experience and great moment. And after the video team left and after Stephanie left, I turned on my television set and I saw breaking news. Um, actually, rewind. I saw Twitter first because, you know, I'm always on Twitter. I saw my Twitter feed going crazy. Um, and then I turned mm-hmm. on CNN and I saw what happened. And I'm just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. And then that was when they made the announcement that a young woman was killed. And then they showed the video mm. like on a loop of the car ramming into the crowd. And, you know, I was... 
sort of semi-glad that I wasn't, um, that I had something to distract me during most of that day. Because if I spent all of my Saturday just plugged to the news, it really would have just taken a lot out of me. Um, but it was a really sad and uh, disappointing thing to see, but I wasn't surprised. And what Not really angered me, mm -hmm. what really angered me was seeing people so shocked about this. <laughs> and yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This is not America. This is not America, guys. Right. This is not, uh, this is not us was the hashtag and uh, all of these uh, ways. Qualify that. Yeah. Qualify that people. Yeah. No. Mm -mm. This is one of those times where I can say not all we're, people were, we're shocked. We're better than this, America. <laughs> this is not the America <laughs> I know. And I'm like, where the fuck have you been for the last? <laughs> yes. And I just, and, and it kind of angered me, too, that it wasn't just white celebrities, but also black celebrities chi chiming in on this. And, um, and it just, it, I guess it's because a lot of people are complicit in Donald Trump becoming president. Not from just mm -hmm. a political level, but also entertainment and media, mm -hmm. and how so many people have not tried, have not made any kind of attempt whatsoever to make this man accountable for his actions, mm -hmm. even while he was campaigning, mm -hmm. to say this man is not fit to be president. This man has a racist past. I mean, Donald mm -hmm. Trump has been explicitly racist since the seventies. Since he there, was born, there was a huge <laughs> racial discrimination lawsuit against him for um, his work as a real estate developer in the seventies, which he lost. Mm -hmm. So, like, this isn't this shouldn't shock anybody. Obviously, the eighties with the Central Park Five, and then mm. just. All of these, you know, this this history of racism and systemic racism on top of that. So for people to be like, you know, this is just appalling. This is just shocking. I can't believe I'm witnessing this. That part made me mad. I, I, right. I guess I'm just so jaded being used to seeing white people do some of these things because white people have actually been um, terrorists in this country more than brown people than people of color um being hurt being killed domestically white people have actually been um terrorists in that and and for folks to just be surprised about it it just it it made me mad so um yeah i i i spent my evening upset i spent my day very happy <laughs> um but it was mm -hmm. a it was a really sad and unfortunate thing to see i i wanted to know from you guys about law enforcement and how you thought <laughs> I'm sorry, please continue. Um I know it's it's funny and it's tragic at the same time because I guess I need to acknowledge mm -hmm. that there were two officers that were killed as well yes. during this incident. Um but how do you think law enforcement handled this situation? I well I, I have to say this because and this is Quran again, um and I'm gonna say the thing that nobody is saying. It's tragic that those two police officers lost their lives mm -hmm. in the line of duty, but they were on their way there. They were not there. That helicopter accident happened before they got there. And um, the way they are being held up is um, they died in the line of duty. They died doing their job on the helicopter, but they were not there. They did not die as a result of being in the midst of that crowd. And the narrative that was being spun 
before the details came out about that helicopter crash was that they died there Mm. because people on the ground were fighting. So, you know, I got into a a beef yesterday online uh, because one of uh, one of the great leaders in hairdressing put up a a, can't we all just get along um, post. And I said, we we never all got got along. When when we when do we get along? I, I need to know. I need to know when we got along Um, because one of her statements was, you know, nobody should have been there. Okay. Nobody should have been there processing the protesters and all this other stuff. And, and and over the overall tone of her message was supposed to be supportive and positive, but to a black person, it's not supportive and positive. It's like, where the fuck you been? Where the fuck have you been? Because you can talk about law enforcement being there. And and the question she asked was, were they prepared? I said, what do you mean, were they prepared? I said, people of color in peaceful protests are met with riot gear and tear gas. Mm -hmm. White people with histories of violence and fully armed are met with greetings and fresh fucking water. Bitch, please. My tweet went viral, by the way. The um, I had put out a tweet about, did the SWAT team take off that night? And it got like almost 20,000 retweets. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah, because and then of I the saw, hypocrisy well, there. That. I saw it. the Vice piece. I saw the Vice piece. Um, Vice did a piece that they put out yesterday, um, which was Monday. Um, and they were interviewing some of the... Um, some of the trash that were uh, that organized, and um, they did show some images of some officers in riot gear, but it, that was after Heather had already been killed. But and what about like, Friday night? Friday night? No. Oh, they were chilling. Oh, yeah, that, that's chilling. that's what I yeah. that's when I tweeted that was Friday <laughs> night mm-hmm. when they, they were, were protesting because they mm-hmm. were throwing you know cans and you know fighting with each other in the streets that was happening on friday night and it was their duty to protect them and they protected and them so well and fire exactly it's they just, could have set that they, whole campus on fire and then mm-hmm. the cops would have done nothing just, yeah, i was listening and, to, and when people were being beaten they were doing nothing right they were Again, doing was nothing like civilians helping civilians at that point and yeah. see they sh- and and i was listening to an interview with uh, uh a former police chief in san diego on npr and he was saying that there was uh like you knew this was going to happen they should have been prepared for the worst so i mean you knew you had these races you know mark getting ready to march you knew there's going to be counter protests in the whole before anything, before anything had ever gotten started, they should have, the police department should have been preparing for the worst possible scenario. And that's in, you know, people not staying apart in a riot and, and, and had those numbers and that amount of preparation there. But they, I mean, it looked like they were. But half, <laughs> yeah, of, the, half like, of the staff hey. of the law enforcement was there protesting. They were the yeah, ones yeah, yeah. holding the tiki torches. <laughs> For them, for them, the worst is a group of black people protesting. Since this was a group of white people protesting, then it wasn't that bad. "Eh, Oh yeah, no, because white people aren't a threat, right? Mm -hmm. 
Right. I mean, DeRay had said that if black people uh-huh. were there, they would have called the National Guard. And that's well, exactly what that, happened yeah. in Ferguson. They did call and the not, National Guard. So, and they're not, strolling yeah, up saw, in, they're not strolling up on Greenmount Avenue in Baltimore either. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they choose yeah. safe places for them. They choose places to have these protests where they know they're welcome and they're going to be safe. They're going to be protected and they're going to be able to bear and use their arms as they see fit. Mm-hmm. Kendall, Mel, what yeah. do you guys think about how law enforcement handled the matter? Um, were they there? <laughs> yeah, right. Kendall, you mean they I were mean, there? They, they did so it. <laughs> I keep thinking about, oh, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, but the young woman who was in the sundress. Who the riot, right, the cops yes. in the riot gear ran up mm-hmm. on like she was about to blow the entire place up. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking about that image and how they approached her and how they did not approach these grown men holding torches, armed like they were about to do something, wearing assault gear. There were men out there in the same gear as the cops except theirs did not have any, you know, official insignia on it. But it was basically the same thing. And mm-hmm. then that pretty much says it all. I'm like, you, you're there to protect, serve and protect only the people that look like you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's Aisha. And then that's it. it was Aisha Evans, by the way. It was the, Thank you. the young woman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So, and then that young guy who was beat up by the white supremacists and was oh. right next to the police station. And then... That was disgusting. It was right just, uh-huh. next disgusting. door. It was right next door to you. And then what did you do? Nothing. Nothing. So I'm going to say again, were they there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I didn't see them. I, For all I know, there were just a bunch of white supremacists there. and They just looked like cops. Right. I don't know if they're yeah. cops. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of them just went to the shop and got costumes to make it there look was... like there were. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's... Maybe Someone it was an iRobot situation. Maybe they they were cloned and they were just put there like to look like they had a presence. Like cop dolls? Like they were dolls? Yes. <laughs> Life-size cop Ken dolls. <laughs> and then there was there was a photo of, of a black cop who was yeah. standing in front of a gate and a lot of people made a big deal about that black cat talking about this photo should win a Pulitzer. I was like, why? That's everyday life for all of us. Mm. But that photo was from last month. We always so really, yeah. yeah. We it's always a, it's so quick that they end up. That. So oh, hold on. Everywhere. I didn't. I didn't hear email. Say that again. I said they debunked it so quickly that that photo was from July. That was not from this. And then it is still being passed around Facebook. Passed around by white people saying, look at this. We can all get along. Look at, this look at how, how he's doing his job. So brave. So patriotic. We always do our damn jobs. And most of the time, out in the, the, the photo of the, uh, the, the KKK member in his robe in the operating room with all the black doctors, that one was circulating too. I'm like, who do you think is treating these motherfuckers? Hmm. It ain't enough of y'all with enough magic. To keep you alive. You don't have enough magic or enough melanin. So who do you think you're going to have to come to? Mm. I just, I'm, I'm done with it. It's like this element of this is not new. This is not rare. This is not surprising. It was crazy, but it's not new. 
every single day there's a black person sitting in a place, whether it's in corporate America or at the police station or in the damn supermarket, that's having to hold their peace because somebody got out of pocket. Or even defend, even defend the people who would oppress them if they could. Help me, Lord Jesus. I can't. Ooh, I can't. Help me, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Especially when you're <sighs> in the South. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That's it right yep. there. She's and I say that all feelings. the time. Mm-hmm. It's like past mm-hmm. is prologue. Past yep. is prologue. Past is present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My daughters went to a concert on Sunday night. Um, one of my daughters is a huge fan of, of a, a band called The Main. And she follows them. She keeps in touch with them. And, and whenever they come to the area, you know, they know her now. And, uh-huh. you know, it's real sweet, real innocent, nice. And But this particular night, and her older sister went with her, uh, my oldest daughter. And she, they're at the concession stand. And somebody said, look at those nigga bitches. What the fuck are they doing here? Uh, God. And my daughter texted me. She was like, ma. <laughs> That's her <laughs> voice. Ma. Ma. Who you be so proud of me right now? I said, just keep your cool and call your ride before the concert lets out so you can get out of Dodge. Mm-hmm. Ha- has anybody on this call not been called the N-word? No. Okay. No. That would be a no. <laughs> this is Devet. Uh I've been, oh my God. And, my, and I have friends, when I have said that, you know, who are so shocked. It's like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. And I said, uh, you're not, are you not, do you not live in the same world? No, actually, you don't right. live in the same world. That's the problem. You don't understand that this is, this is my life. It, I, I, when I, because I, I have a lot of white friends. It's just the nature of how I've grown up. I have lots of white friends, friends of different lots of different races, but I can never make them understand what it is like, what it's like for me growing up, what it was like for me growing up in Oklahoma and even just being alive in California. It doesn't matter. It's just, it's that there are people who look at me and make these assumptions about my level of intelligence, the kind of food I eat, you know, what I drink, you know, what my life is like based on the color of my skin. And there are people who feel absolutely fine, easy, uh, joyful about calling me a nigger to my face. Mm. You know, they, they don't think that why would that be a problem? You know, but they don't they don't think that that's possible in this day and age, quote, unquote. Mm. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore. Wrong. <laughs> yes, in fact, it Wrong. does. <laughs> yes, in fact, it does. It's like this is not nothing has changed in that way. This thing that happened in Charlotte, Charlottesville is the is simply that scab, you know, breaking off and the stuff coming out underneath it. There's may have been a little bit of a scab. But we've all known what's there. And these people are just like, just kind of pushed it out there and said, no, no, we're still here in case some. And and, and I kind of like, I feel like, yay. Uh, Are you guys looking at this now? Do you see this is this has always been here. It hasn't gone away. And just because you want to believe that it's gone away, just like 
maybe you're you're thinking that no, I'm not like that. Well, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's not here. <laughs> that doesn't yeah. mean, you need to yeah. pay attention. You need to do something about it. You need to stop being quiet. And you need to listen to me when I say that that's not an isolated incident. And that I live very carefully because I know it's there. Mm-hmm. I have a brother who's in Indiana. And I, I've re- I said again to my husband last night, I'll be glad when he's, because I keep telling him, please leave that area, please. There's so much there. I said, it's, maybe it's not that much better here in California, but it's a little bit. Can you please just come out here with us? And he wants to stay there till he retires from his job. And every, I don't know, every day I think, am I going to get a call? Because mm. he got stopped by some racist cop or he got, you know, some guy at work waited for him after work or, or he was just going to the store, mm-hmm. you mm. know? And somebody, I think the only thing that keeps him safe is that he's 6'6". <laughs> he looks like a football player. <laughs> but, you know, it's like not many people are going to run up on him anyway. But hey, the best time, brother. You know. <laughs> <laughs> are you listening, King? <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm going on too long, so. So, um, I want to jump to, because I know we've kind of touched upon it, your personal experiences of racism, and then we'll talk about uh, Orange Cheeto Breath. Um, Mm. What have been your personal experiences? I mean, one moment that will always stick with me for as long as I live, uh, this actually happened years ago when I was a kid. I'm born and raised in Virginia, born in Portsmouth, raised in Virginia Beach, So there's pockets of rednecks that live around here. I mean, occasionally you'll see cars with Confederate flags and (laughs) bumper stickers and all of that stuff. Um, Pretty much been a Republican state for many years. Turned Democrat when Obama got elected. Woohoo! And turned Democrat when Trump (laughs) got elected. Um, But it's, it's definitely a large contingent of white redneck white supremacist groups that are here. So what happened to me when I was a kid, I was actually in a thrift shop just walking around and they had different aisles uh, in the store and I was walking up and down each of the aisles and it was myself. I was the only black kid in the store. I think I was about eight or nine years old when this happened. And the store owner was an older white woman and she looked at me and I looked back at her and I was like, okay, you know, whatever. And then I walked down the aisle to my left and then she walked down the aisle to the left and looked over at me again. And then I slowly began to realize this woman is following me around the store. (laughs) (laughs) Is this really happening? And as a kid at that age, I didn't really understand what racism really was, but I just remember feeling incredibly sad and upset and angry. And I actually walked out of the store with my mom and, um, and I cried. And mm. I, th- that moment still sticks with me. I, I didn't feel like I was treated like a human being. I didn't feel like I had any kind of um, value in that moment. And uh, I... I will always remember that for the rest of my life, even though it happened years ago. 
I will always remember that this woman thought that I was someone that was possibly capable of stealing something in the store where she's following me around like I'm a criminal and I was just a kid. So, um, yeah, I, I'm curious yeah. to know what your personal experiences are dealing with racism. Let's see. My, uh, I grew up in a very uh, progressive, um, artistic and political household. So um, art, the cultural arts were a form of social activism. And my father was a politician. So um, I've lived with overt and systematic racism in schools, in the military, at church, at the playground, at the theater, for damn sure the beauty industry, corporate America, the supermarket, the stoplight, the hospital, the stop sign, in the grass, in the field, <laughs> in the house. You know, it's there's no area of life that racism doesn't touch. Um, the last... The last time I acted on what was on, on racism, I was in Nordstrom here in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I was there to buy some makeup because I had run out of makeup and I was about to go on a trip and just needed to pick up a few things. And I'm looking at some new stuff because Nars had just come out with a new palette and I'm all excited and, you know, trying to get my thing together, you know. And um, this chick just keeps popping up. Now, mind you, I used to work for Nordstrom. I worked for them for a long time. I had a boutique in one of their flagship stores. So I know how their rules are when it comes to behavior of their associates, how you respond to people on the floor, what you don't do on the floor. Every time I turned a corner, I started seeing this shadow. So I said, okay, let's play a game. And I just started going to random corners. And there she was every single time. So I took out my phone and I started tweeting. I said, y'all, I'm at South Park in Nordstrom. I'm in the cosmetics department and this bitch is following me. Hmm. So I, I, um, I tagged the store. I tagged uh. the store manager and I immediately got a DM. It was like a minute and a half. And they were like, um, can you describe them? And I described them and all that. And then the phone rang and she picks up the phone and they had her come upstairs. And then later on I got, you know, a nice little note from them or whatever. And, and somebody called and talked to me later on. But it was like, we're not we're not doing that, girl. No, no. All this money in my pocket. I know you on commission. I know what you make, girl. You're not getting this. Com I don't like you, but you're not going to follow me in this store. And at one point I turned around and I said, what you want? What do you want? Oh, I was just trying to be here in case you if I need something, I call you. I don't, I don't need anything. Stop it. And she was looking at me straight. And the, the most interesting thing happens when you confront these motherfuckers. When you confront them on their behavior, all of a sudden, they play dumb. Or they start to cower and show you the cowards that they really are. Because the truth of the matter is, they like to lurk. They like to lurk in their little darkness, in their little corners, but when you confront them, and I am a confrontational per I know it's hard to believe, but I am a confrontational <laughs> <No>. person. <laughs> Say it but so. it's just, it's disheartening. And there was a part of me that was so incredibly angry 
because it is still so incredibly unnecessary. And the whole time I'm thinking to myself, she's about to stupid her way out of a commission. You go into any high-end store, you know, and, and certain people will look at you as if you don't belong there. Even mm-hmm. Oprah a few years ago. Yeah. When uh-huh. she was just thinking about that. Yeah. You know, I was just this is the, the daggone queen of the world. Right. And they want to, I just, I'm, I'm over it. So yeah. for the people that, you know, claim that they're surprised by this, they either, they either don't care, they haven't been listening, or they're not paying attention because we've been telling them for years. We've been saying it, we've been showing it, we've been demonstrating it. We got audio, we've got video, we got 3D, we got virtual reality. We got everything to prove that what we have been saying all this time is true. And yet they're still like, who, me? I'm not a racist, but of course we live in a world where it's worse to be called a racist than it is to actually be one. So. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, my experience is very similar um, in that it also involves a store. Like what, what is it with these people (laughs) in stores? I think it's a Southern, it's a Southern thing. No, no, it's not. It is. No, no, I mean, it's, it happens everywhere, but I don't know. It's definitely not Southern. It ha- I feel oh. like it happens more in our region of the world nope. than in other places. Mm-hmm. But go on, Kendall. Because we're all criminals. <laughs> yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, well, like, so so my family is from this um, very, very small town in Texas. I, I like to call it the sticks because that's literally all that's there. Sticks and rocks. <laughs> um, and, I mean, I didn't grow up there, but I just, you know, ever since I was a baby, we just went for Mother's Day and Thanksgiving and, you know, all types of gatherings. And my ancestors are buried there. You know, I can I can trace my family back in that small town until at least 1803. Wow. Um, and Excellent. so I was there because my uh, my grandparents have a house there, and so whenever they go, you know, they just stay. And my cousin and I had the idea that we wanted to uh, bury this time capsule in in the backyard. And we were like, we're going to bury this time capsule, and then we're going to come back 10 years later, and we're going to open it up, and we're just going to live life. And so I drove in from Houston, and she drove in from Austin, and I got there before she did, and I stopped at a gas station. Um, cause we had planned to go to the movies, which this town is so small. The movie theater was like 40 minutes away. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, let me just go get some gas. So I go in the gas station and immediately I just felt the energy inside. Um, when I walked in, I, you know, I was the only black person and I just got these stairs and I heard uh-huh. these guys. Um, young, like my generation, like so not like some old, old white people, like young white people um, that were pretty much like, you know, what's this nigga doing here? Like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I was like, you know what? I'm not living this life right now. <laughs> I didn't say anything. <laughs> um, and then I go to the counter and the woman is just like giving me these weird looks. And so she starts asking me questions and I immediately know like she's just trying to rile me up or, you know, cause I'm like, you wouldn't be asking any other customer in here these questions, you know? And so I, what I ended up doing is I basically like name dropped my grandfather because I'm like, you like, 
my family is from here. Like, don't try and do me about how I don't belong here. What am I doing here? Trying to make me feel uncomfortable. I'm like, homie, my people were here before yours. Okay. So fall back. And I was like, actually, you know, I'm staying, uh, you know, I'm here for whatever. And I'm staying on Carter Road. So my family's name is Carter. So the street is named after them. And then she just did an about face and was like, oh, oh, you're related to so-and-so. And I'm like, and in the back of my head, I'm just thinking, oh, okay. So now I'm a good nigga because you have an association of like why I'm here and what I'm doing here. And I'm like, look, I just want some hot Cheetos and a Snapple. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just really here to get some hot Cheetos and a Snapple. I've already pumped my gas. Like, leave me alone. Uh, And and it upset me. I mean, it was something, it was something so small, just like that questioning or just like that uncomfortable feeling that I got. But I'm like, you all are not going to make me feel this way in a place that is like, my my ancestral home like you're you're not about to make me be uncomfortable i'm gonna own my place and you will you will deal with it um and so i you know i was just pretty much like you know what you can just leave me alone (laughs) and so when i once i told her i was like you know i'm gonna be like i'm staying on carter road and i made sure i said that and then i just said how about how about you stop asking me questions because i don't need to answer them and she's like, oh, 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 sweetheart, I'm so, I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean anything by it. You know, I just never seen you around here before. And I just held up my hand. I was like, that's that's fine. Can I have my change, please? Mm-hmm. Like, just, mm-hmm. just give me my change. Like, don't try to, oh, sweetheart me, and oh, you're just playing off of this Southern hospitality. No, you're giving me looks, and you're asking me these questions because you see that I'm Black, and for whatever reason, you don't like that. And I don't care. Um, and I just pretty much, you know, when I came when I came back and my cousin had already made it there, we were like, all right, we're going to go to the movies. And I just said, you know what? I don't even know if I want to go anymore because I was just not in mm-hmm. the mood. And even though I didn't like go off or it didn't just it didn't have that immediate effect on me. The more I sat and thought about it, just the angrier and angrier I got. And I I think it was just like, I just tried to ignore it and brush it off. But I was like, she was really trying to size me up. Those guys in the gas station were really like calling me out my name. And it just didn't hit me until I left. And I just, I was like, you know, I can't, I can't do this. And it just made me angrier because I was feeling uncomfortable in a place that is supposed to be like my home. And that's what I did. That's what I, I, what I didn't like the Mm -hmm. most that I'm going to get to the point where I don't want to come here anymore. And I don't want it to be like that. So, yeah. I wonder if it's something, this is Devette. I wonder if there's something about, you know, (laughs) so we all have these experiences and, and, in retail in particular, because mine was like my first thought about race in that way was, I remember being probably about, I think I must've been about six. And I went into a bakery with my mother. It was a bakery we, we used to go, I mean, it's a very small town. And I remember going into this bakery and this 
white woman, older white woman uh, behind the counter. And we walked up to the counter and she says, so what can I get for you girls? And I thought, I mean, for me, a little girl, I thought that was funny. You know, that, oh, she's calling my mom a girl. She must think my mom is very young. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, but my mom went like stone and she just said, um, um, pick up whatever it was that she was picking up. She did not smile in return. She did not do anything. She just got her stuff and paid for it. And we left. And I asked my mom, I said, mama, she calls you a girl. And she said, yes, I know, but I'm a woman. And that was the first time I realized, you know, that there was, you know, that there was something wrong. And my mom later explained it to me. She called me a girl because I, well, my mom said, because I'm a Negro and she's white. That's not, she wasn't trying to be nice. And it just went all over me. I mean, I, I just wanted to run back in <laughs> and tell that lady, you know, my mom is a woman, you know, but it was just us like, is it something about sales clerks that they feel like that they can get away with that shit? I don't understand it. It's I don't like, know, like they feel empowered behind the counter. Yeah. It's yeah. like a part like of their training. Racial profiling is a part of their training manual or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, but it wasn't the last time, but I think that was the first time. I wish it was isolated to retail. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, mm -hmm. I know, I know. I think for me, it's always been weird because my family's not originally from this country. So they came here in like the late 70s and they went straight for New York City, which everybody was racist people, the politicians, the cops. It was just everything was racist in New York City at that time, the late 70s, the 80s, the early 90s when we lived there. And then we moved from there to Georgia, which for most of the time that I lived there, the half the flag was the Confederate flag. We spent summers at Stone Mountain, which has um, Confederate figures carved into the mountain. And there's a laser show that makes them right off into the distance as um, that country song, I'm Proud to be American, plays. Oh my and, god. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and where I could for some of my history classes for um if I want to get extra credit, um I could participate in a Confederate battle reenactment. Girl, stop. I can't. <laughs> you are not serious. I am serious. Oh my god. Let me say Georgia is racist as hell. So like yeah, yeah so much. So much was going on in that state. You know, so many rules I developed about not stopping at any gas station. You know, that's like, I don't yes. know, miles outside of the city limits. You know, not being in any place that's not predominantly black. Stay in Atlanta. Stay in certain parts of Atlanta. Don't move out of those parts because it's going to get messed up real quick. But my story, I'm not going to um, say anything about retail because, you know, that happens. We've done that. My thing is, recently, I lived in upstate New York, <laughs> and I think a lot of, th it's something that a lot of people don't know, is that once you get, start getting outside of New York City, like, the predominantly black parts of New York City, it gets racist real fast. So, in upstate New York, where I lived, 
there weren't that many black people, but the black people who lived there were all, well, not all, but like mostly living in one part of the city. When I first moved there, I lived on the opposite side of the city. Everything was fine. I didn't really notice anything weird. And then I moved to the other side where all the black people were, which was like, I don't know, maybe 30 people, not that many people in this city. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) all of a sudden, cops are everywhere. It's not that big of a city. There were cops in cars. There were cops on friggin' bikes in this place. There were foot patrols in a neighborhood that was maybe three blocks. And then I'm looking around. I was like, why are there so many? And then my boss, who was white, but she actually got it, unlike most of the people that I worked with, would say she lived near me. And she would say that people would not let their daughters come play with her daughter because she lived in the bad neighborhood. And there was no difference between any of the neighborhoods in that city except the neighborhood that we lived in was had black people in it. It wasn't even predominantly black. It just had black people in it. So then every time I'd walk my dog, I'd see cops out on the corner. And I told this story during our get out round table. There was like one night I was walking my dog and it got dark there really quickly um, during winter time. So it was like maybe 6.30, but it was pitch black outside. And I was wearing a hoodie and walking down the street, just minding my own business. And then there's a white man in a car who followed me for two blocks because I was walking through the white part of the neighborhood. And he followed me. And I kept thinking that entire time. I was like, this could end really badly. For what? (laughs) For what? Because he saw, I guess he didn't even know if I was a girl or not. He just saw a black person in a hoodie at night. And he thought that's a danger right there. And I need to take care of that. I need to see what this person is doing in my neighborhood. And I just kept thinking about that. And every time... I walked my dog. I thought about that because I'm like, okay, I have to walk through the white part of the neighborhood because it's just a block over. But every time I went, people were watching me through the blinds, Mm -hmm. from cars. It was just, I had to get out of there. (laughs) I was like, after all that time, I lived in racist Georgia. This living in upstate New York was the most unsafe I've ever felt in my life. I had to get out of there. Hmm. Oh. Well, it's exhausting, isn't it? It is. It is. Exhausting. It, is. it is. It is. It's really. It a- is exhausting, and you know, I, I, I remember I, I took a job in in Gainesville, Georgia. Speaking of Georgia, and I was the director of education for a really large salon. It was called Princeton, uh, Princeton Salon and Spa, and I had about twenty five women that I was hired to train, and. Um, I was having lunch one day and I decided to have sushi and all these people started coming downstairs like to look. And I'm like, what is going on? Is everything is something going on? They were like, I've never seen a black person eat sushi before. And and, and then the owner's husband says, I've never seen a black person up close before. Oh, God. And then the girl says. I heard color folks couldn't talk. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yo. Like, <laughs> she night. said, is it true that you all wear weaves because you can't grow hair? I said, bitch, uh, get out my face. You know what? I always joke with my brother. I'm like, we joke, don't go to any of the villes in Georgia. None of the villes. None of the villes. <laughs> None of the villes. <laughs> if it ends None in of a the villes, villes. Don't go there. Don't stop don't there. Don't go there. 
and it's, it's like better flags everywhere. Vils and Bergs. Vils and Bergs. <laughs> Avoid the Vils and Bergs. <laughs> and it's like I, you know, I had to learn what the southern middle finger was. Bless your heart. I, mm-hmm. I used to think bless your heart was a term of endearment. No. Uh, but it's not. It's the south, it's the middle finger from the south. Mm-hmm. Bless your heart. Yep. So speaking of s- ignorant ass statements, uh, mm. Trump Ooh. had a few. <laughs> uh, he did three press conferences. And I wanted to know what your opinions were about each of his statements. His first press conference where it was the day the uh, Charlottesville tragedy happened and he... Um, Trump basically was saying that it was an all-sides situation, that the accountability is from all sides, um, including the Nazi, white supremacists, KKK protesters, to the anti-protesters and anti-racist protesters that were out there, uh, which they were very peaceful, um, but the uh, white supremacist protesters were not. So he blamed accountability for the people that weren't even causing violence at this incident. Then he had a second press conference, which I'm pretty sure he was forced to do, which he was probably reluctant to do, where if you watch the press conference, you can tell that he's just reading off the teleprompter and saying what he was told. And then he does say by name that these were white supremacists that were out here um, that were a part of this incident. Uh, But then today, he doubled down on his statements on the first press conference, and he stands by his statement that all sides are accountable in this incident. And he refuses to acknowledge uh, accountability for these white supremacist protesters that are the cause of why uh, this disruption happened and why uh, this young girl's life is no longer because one of the people that were in that car that ran through the crowd was one of these protesters. So he hasn't acknowledged any of that. And I just want to know what your thoughts were about the fact that basically the president of our country seems to be a sympathizer of white supremacists. Fuck him. Fuck Ditto. him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. You know, I, I'm, 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 I'm exhausted from, I'm exhausted with his ass. I'm just, I'm exhausted. There is not a more incompetent person on the face of this earth. There is not a more insensitive, incompetent, racist, xenophobic, homophobic, tiny handed, little penis, idiotic, orange ish, unnatural demon spawn motherfucker on the face of the earth. Fuck him. There is nothing that comes out of his mouth that's the truth. And when somebody made a statement um, online that when he read that second statement, he looked like a hostage who was forced to make a statement Mm -hmm. and they were holding the camera, you know, and this this interestingly enough, between the second and the third statement, um, David Duke had something to say about uh, him not him remember he said remember that it was white americans that put you in the white house Mm -hmm. and then today we have this unscheduled impromptu press conference where he not only double backs on what he says about the white supremacists the kkk and the neo-nazis but he also praises steve bannon that's a great guy 
it's a, he's a great guy and he's unfairly treated in, in, in the media. Fake news. He's such. And, and like, he said that there were fine men that were protesting that day. Fine men who were protesting. Fine men. Like they are outstanding men. citizens of society. Mm-hmm. Isn't right. this great? And this is the great you were talking about in Make America yeah. Great Again. Mm-hmm. That's like, exactly it. How about Make yeah. America Not Racist for the First Time? How about that? <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> David Duke thanked him today. Yeah, he yeah, did. After, he after, his like, yeah. mm-hmm. after the third one, he mm-hmm. thanked him today yep. for, for correcting his statement. And supporting them. And it's like, I, there is not a word that exists in the English language to describe the nature of this beast. I don't, I don't have a word. And I got, I pimp words and I don't have a word. I do not have, there is not a word in our language or phrase that can sum up the inhumanity and incompetence and impossibly stupid orange. <laughs> Just I used to love orange. I used to you know I used to love Cheetos, yeah. Have you seen the protest signs, by the way, that um were drawn where the forty five, as in the forty fifth president, is drawn like a swastika? Yes. That's so brilliant. Yes. Man. They have flags with that. I saw buttons too. Yeah, they have flags with the 45 as a swastika. Brilliant graphic design. But Anybody else have thoughts on Yeah. I mean, it's just, the thing is, is like like we said, we've been saying throughout, these people have been around Mm -hmm. and they are around, but we've never, I mean, or at least not in recent years, had a national leader in the United States this bad. You know what I'm saying? This stupid, this unqualified, this cra- unqualified in the history of the ignorant, world. Ignorant. Yeah. And this I want to go to history of the out world. loud. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, inadvertently causing a nuclear war. Oh, yeah, that's another, just, I mean, just going to happen time. a trip over it. He's, he's you know, like Nero. I mean, he's like Nero. Like, just whole town whole place is going to be up in flames and he's just going to be sitting there like okay fiddling yeah fiddling <laughs> yeah. while usa burn who i mean i just can't even imagine how we i just i'm sorry i did a i did a short film uh in november where i imagined you know the first part of it was this black and white imagining in a very over dramatic way of what it was like for, for you know 4 years and we were saying you know women and and minorities can't be out after dark and people are trying to get to the Mexico where they're still accepting refugees and all this stuff. It was done in this very tongue-in-cheek way and then it switched to election night and the women there were talking about how each of them had forgotten to vote or had a reason not to vote or did a protest vote or something and then they're saying and then they're watching the news in horror as they realize that Trump is in fact being elected. And I, I, you know, at the time I thought, when I first wrote it, I said, well, this is a little extreme possibly at the beginning. I'm gonna make it tongue in cheek a little bit and, and then we'll get to the reality of election night. And then I realized so quickly that it was snow 
This is almost prophetic at this point. And I can't, every day I tell myself, it's like, well, he's going to do something so stupid, so outrageous that they're going to yank him. You know, it's just going to, it's going to happen. It's like, he cannot continue on this path and he's still sitting in the presidency. And he is every day. He's still, he's been in there for eight months. There's something that's that Russia or something that someone's got a hold over him on, because think about it. Like these, (laughs) these white supremacists, they were also anti-Semitic because they were saying uh, Mm -hmm. Jews replace us or I I forgot exactly what the sentiments they were saying, but, you know, anti-Jewish folk. And Jared Kushner, his son-in-law, is Jewish. So he didn't even speak out against this. So there's something weird going on where they are supporting Trump and Trump is being supported by some foreign body, probably Putin Putin and his folks, um, Mm -hmm. that is just allowing him to continue to do what he's doing in the Republican party. And, and so many folks, you know, in our administration and in Congress and in the Senate that are just kind of sitting idly by and just letting it happen. So that's why when I see these tweets from Marco Rubio and, and all of these Republican politicians, I'm just like, dude, you guys are getting no cookies for speaking out against Trump because Mm -hmm. where were you? When the guy got elected, where were you when he was campaigning? Right. Um, you you weren't really saying much there. So I feel like you're just as complicit in what's happening in our country um, as Definitely. Trump's administration is. Yeah. Like you're a I day mean, late and like $5 short. I mean, they, yeah. they will say something on Twitter. They will say something in front of a press conference. But when it comes to saying something on the floor with their votes. Right. Their right. Vote, they're always supporting Trump because they know Trump is whatever he's doing is helping them. They're getting richer. They're getting more powerful off of this. So they don't care if he drives this entire country to the brink of destruction, as long as they can retire in the Cayman Islands with a nice fat bank account, they are going to be fine. The rest of us, who cares? Because they didn't care in the first place. I mean, right now you can really say politicians are evil and mean it because they are. They do not and they're so care fake. one I'm just, bit like, about it. They, it's a severe lack of empathy Yeah, that yeah. I, I cannot, I mean, <laughs> that's really all I, that's really all that I can say. This, the, the lack of empathy and the inability to see people who, like the inability to see people as people mm. and to actually care, I just can't. And, these are people that you're supposed to be serving. Like people are right. sitting in these town halls and you're just like, Oh, I mean, Oh, well, it's all about my pockets. I'm like, what? I don't, I just, I can't, I can't do it. But it, isn't that a function of privilege though? You don't have to think about the people you don't have to think about. Yeah. Well now they need to think about it. Cause election it's, season, job. y'all, their y'all going to be all out of jobs. <laughs> their whole job. They better be. About I mean, the only way they're out is if we vote. That's, exactly. That's you know, and and we let, have to and let this yeah, be proof. Up. Yeah, let this be proof positive that apathy by not voting doesn't get us anywhere either. Because that's how Trump has gotten. Because I know that a lot of people decide to sit this election out, and, and a lot that of people has, did, but he still lost the popular vote by over three million people. 
And then you gotta and also look at how much voter suppression has become a problem. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, worse. It's not it's just yeah. because now to vote because elections voted. They voted their voices for the other candidate. They voted their voices for Hillary Clinton. Right, but, but let's remember we have this electoral college that is antiquated. It's been long antiquated. This is the second time this has happened in my lifetime. So let's remember that elections matter on all fronts. It's not just all the presidential fronts. election. Absolutely. It's those congressional it's, elections. It's your your local treasurer, your city council. Like people, we need to really galvanize folks to go out there and hit the polls because then we could turn things around like gerrymandering. We can turn things around where voter suppression is no longer, but we need the right people in those seats, in those positions to make sure that they're looking out for the American people and not for themselves. And your local and your local and state judges learn who these people are. Right. Don't just click down the ballot because you don't know who they are. Learn who these people are. And it's a sad day in America where we look to George Bush with affection. Listen. Oh my God. Listen. I met George Bush maybe like six months ago um, because I was in Dallas for an event and I got invited to this thing. And I'm over here and I'm like this. You are so funny, just funny and likable and just Just darling, just cracking jokes and, you know, talking about his dog. (laughs) And I'm like, it's a sad state of affairs. Like you said, when you're just like, I miss you, George. (laughs) It's a sad state of affairs. That is sad. He was awful, but he wasn't contemptible. Yeah. Because he was a, he was a charming guy. That's what everybody always said about him. He was like the kind of guy you'd love to get a beer with, which I don't know why continues to be a good <laughs> selling point for the president of the United States. But right. yeah. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I want to have a beer with Uncle Joe. But no, I mean to. Listen. Me too. <laughs> yeah, all, all of this is the Tea Party's fault. All of this. Yes. They, this mm. is the best they made. And now we all have to lie in it, unfortunately. But yeah, this they have been stoking up this country to get to this point for years. And Trump and has I'll emboldened put- them with the birther movement. So yep. he helped give them oh some momentum God, yes. and gain some notoriety just because of all of that. So Trump knew what he was doing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to know from each of you, you know, we obviously are very upset about what's happened and we want to try to figure out what's going on in this country with this man running things. Where do we go from here? What can we do? We can live is what we can do. Um, somebody made a comment um, when my daughter posted her picture, the pictures of, of being at the concert. And there were a lot of white people who were in the picture because it's a white band, you know. Um, and uh, they said, you know, Y'all need to get get out those white folks way. And I, I often troll my children. I take great pleasure in trolling my children on social media. And um, my response to that friend was, we don't live in fear. We live cautiously, but we don't live in fear. If my kids want to go see a concert, they're going to go see. And I, I say kids, but they're adults. If they want to go see a concert, they're going to go see a concert. But we have to take care of ourselves and each other. We have to turn the news off every now and then. We have to spend more time with our families and hold our children close 
and we have to tell them the truth about what's out there. We can no longer, we don't have the luxury of sugarcoating this shit. We don't have that luxury because lives are at stake. And, 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 you know, to drive the point home my entire life, I've had to realize that every time I walk outside this door or someone comes to my door, my life could be in jeopardy just because I wear this skin. But the truth is what we can do is we can continue to live. We can live with one another, for one another, take care of one another and pick up a fucking book. Read, learn our history, learn what resistance means, learn what it means to fight whether that is nonviolent resistance or resistance that's met with violence. Learn how to defend your home and your family with education. Learn how to defend your home and family with the power of your vote. Take your kids to the polls with you. Teach them what this is about. But we don't have the luxury of lying to them or trying to soften the blow. This is hard. This is hard. I still have an elementary school kid at home. I have to explain to even my 20 year old daughter. Last week we had a conversation and she said, I don't understand why everything has to be about race. I said, sweetie, everything is about race. In this context, everything is about race. This is about racism. This is about hatred of other people because of the color of their skin. There's no greater definition for it. That is the definition of racism. So we can love more. We can learn more. And we can be more. Yeah. I think, Mrs. Devette, again, I just think education, educating ourselves and our kids, kind of jumping off of one of Karen's points. Um Wrong girl, and I'm oh, sorry, it's okay. just edit that out, Jamie. Come on. <laughs> uh, jumping off that point, I just I think that it's so important for us to kind of go back and look at history. That's where you learn uh, about where we are right now, knowing that this, you know, learning that this isn't the first time this has happened, and you know, we want to try and make sure that it's the last time, but we're not going to do that unless we look and, and, and really see what's going on by examining what's gone on in the past. And so I'm not putting, I'm not one of those people who's going to jump on, oh, millennials don't know this or the kids don't know that. Um, but I think that there has been, there may be some things missing in that process, their living process, because so many things have been, uh, it hasn't been something they've had to deal with. You know, I, I didn't go to school with white kids until I was in the fifth grade. You know, when I tell younger people that sometimes, they're like, what? Really? Yeah. No, really. I, it was like... It, it was like one was. white kid until high school. Like, literally. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, and the fact that I had to actually be bussed across town because they wanted to mix things up a bit. So I didn't get to see a lot of the kids that I went to school with in the first three, uh, first four grades again until junior high. Hmm. So it was, you know, I mean, little things like that, um, bring it home to them that, you know, knowing about where we came from will help us 
deal with what's going on now. But also, we have to educate ourselves and the people that we need as allies about what's going on right now. As, you know, adults who have been through this, we need to talk to these other people and say, okay, this is, you need to know, you need to understand, this is where I'm coming from when I say that we're dealing with this type of racism right now. You need to listen to me, listen to me. And um, I think that that will get us part of the way. So I'll, I'll just say real quick, um, on an immediate personal level, find your catharsis, find your therapy. Mm -hmm. Take that anger and that energy yeah. and that, that hurt energy and put it towards something, whether it's writing a book, gardening, um, yoga, baking, doing mm -hmm. hair, whatever it is, find your catharsis. Mel? Um, I agree completely with that. Um, and also, I just wanted to say about Friday night when you saw the first images of the protest and they showed the pictures of the students who were standing there with their, you know, anti-protest signs, just a little group of students surrounded by a sea of hate. And sometimes it just makes me so proud to see the young people, how they roll out in just fearless ways and they just throw their bodies into these protests with like no thought of their safety. And I just want to say, stay safe. You know, we all want to get out there. We all want to do our parts, but also stay safe. Take care of yourself. Take care of your friends. You know, if you need help, ask for help. You don't have to fight every fight. Take some breaks. That's it. That's all I want to say. Excellent. Go out and vote. And uh, social media, use your social media weight to spread the word. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that is learning so much because of um, all of these great internet platforms that we use to Absolutely. communicate. So please do that and continue to do so. Thank you so much, Kendall, Mel, Karan, and Devet. This was a fantastic episode. And thank you guys for listening in. Please let us know what you think. Use the hashtag BGM podcast and join in the conversation with other listeners. And we will see you next time. Bye. 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 That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>